Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. How are we all doing today? Glorious. Right? Um, well, first, well, let me do, let us just, one step at a time here. My, uh, I was just fronting down my, uh, <laughs> my practitioner uh, folder. I, we're remodeling in my home and um, everything's sort of in other places. First, why don't we get to um, a little attendance. Seeing as it's 10.31, I trust everybody's in the uh, call. But no, I'm on the call right now. Where else would they be? Where else would you want to be? Okay. So, let's start with practitioners. Group one is the gangster of love on the phone. Yes, she is. Lisa Lucius. <laughs> There's a book title in there somewhere, Lisa. How about Sushant <laughs> Naidu? Yeah, Jesse, I'm here. <clears throat> All right. Uh, the Brad Pitt of the practitioner program, as we call him. Um, Chris Tompkins. Yes, I'm here. Hi, Chris. Brian Bucchiarelli. Maybe he's on mute. Maybe he's not here yet. Brian Bucchiarelli. Uh Amina Sanchez. I'm here. Hi, Amina. Hi. All right, Patsy Moore. Patsy Moore going once. Going twice. Mar Hobbs. Maria Hobbs. Mar, was that you? Did you say yes? Right, let's see on Mar. Come back. Kelly Halleck. Kelly Halleck. Going once. Going twice. All right. Tom Hennessy? Here. Great. Steven. I am here. Hello, Steven. And absolutely not least, but just last today, Mike Marinkovich. Here. Hey, Jesse, I'm here. This is Mar. Hi, Mar. Hey. Is, Pat, is Patsy with you? Uh, yeah, she's getting on the call right now. All right. I'll mark her as here as well. 
And did Brian Bucchiarelli hop on the call? Not yet. Okay. Uh, okay. And how about practitioner group two? Did I forget anyone? One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Nope. Okay. Group two, we have Jennifer O'Brien. Here. Hi, Jennifer O'Brien. How's Seattle doing today? Gay Pride weekend. Woohoo! Ooh, all right. Oh, my gosh. We're all on over. You're freaking dancing in the streets today. Um, Zach Gower. Zach Gower, going once. Going twice. All right. I'm going to shoot him a little email. He might have a little time. Uh, time might be off a little bit. Um, Mark Gregor. I'm here. Hi, Martha Contreras. Morning. Hi, Vanessa. Oh, here. Hi, Vanessa. Um, Hi. One, two, three, four, five. Soki. Right here, right now. I love you all. Yes, and Brandon. Here. All right. Okay. Uh, Did I miss anybody? Kelly Halleck, did you get on the call? Yep, I'm on. All right. And Brian Bucchiarelli? Hey, Cal, can you send Brian, uh, shoot Brian a text? Yep, will do. Thank you. And Zach Gower? Jesse? Yes. I just got a text from Brian that he's having trouble accessing the call. Okay, well, choose Southern California. No, I'll just have him tell him to try again. Southern California numbers just popped in. I think that's probably Brian and Zach hopping on the call right now, or Brian. Yeah, yeah. Let's go on. Hi, everybody. Hi, Brian. All right. I'm here as well. Beautiful. Well, oh, and what about uh, Jennifer Hadley? I see her name on there. That's exciting. Good morning. Good morning, Jennifer. Calling from Kauai. Ugh. I won't even know. No, I'm in New Jersey. Oh, you're in New Jersey? Well, New Jersey is the Kauai of the East Coast, everybody. Yeah. Um, I get to um, see Jennifer this next week and spend some real good quality time with her and our grandma teacher, Venerable Tahani. This is a full, it will be the lineage of the Inspire Spiritual Practitioner uh, teachers, uh, Venerable Dahani and Jennifer and me. Um, gonna be, I'm really excited to see you, Jen. So uh, a couple of announcements real quick. Um, there's a couple things that I would, I'm going to really encourage everyone to put onto your calendars, okay? Uh First, I'll just mention this Monday, uh, Hayes, Hawk, and Daniel Pritchett are doing another sound bath uh, for Club Med, 7.30 to 8.30. Amazing experience. If you've uh, not done a sound bath with an upright bass, it's fantastic and really beautiful. And Hayes is such a gifted practitioner and facilitator. Uh, So that's Monday. But, uh, and I'm really going to encourage everyone, everyone, to just make it happen. I can't share enough the wonderful, wonderful experience I had in Lara Ocean's 
um, listen to the heart meditation, uh, musical meditation that she does uh, first Thursdays of the month. It is phenomenal. I just had a heart-opening, mind-opening experience, um, and it's very simple. It's very sweet. So this Thursday at 8 p.m. at the Heart Center, I'm going to invite everyone to mark that on your calendars. This Thursday, 8 p.m. Um, not only do we get to support a wonderful artist that's uh, making some really beautiful heart-centered music, but uh, it really is a wonderful experience, and just um, I would love to share that with everyone. Um, also, that Thursday, it really is helpful if she has someone, uh, in addition to Kelly, helping her set up. So if someone could commit to coming around 7.15 or so to help Laura set up the space, that would be really wonderful. Um, she'd, uh, she'd really appreciate it, and it just helps everything get set up and gives her enough time to feel centered before she um, does her thing. And the second thing to put on your... Um, uh, there's three things total. The third thing is a week from this Sunday... And very exciting, Jennifer. Very exciting to meet you here. Amina Sanchez, uh, our sister, is going to be giving her first uh, main teaching at Inspire. She's still an infamy. Um, and she's going to be supported by Patsy and Marr doing some music. And Hayes is going to be doing meditation and offering a short teaching. Uh, we are lovingly calling it Sisterhood of the Tra- Traveling Pajmina. Um, but it's going to be a wonderful, and Amina's been sharing some of the things she's been contemplating sharing about and uh, with me, and it's going to be just wonderful. She was just kind of talking in conversation, and I was like, oh, my God, just do what you just did. But uh, I'm very excited, and I'm sure that she would love the support. Uh, the practitioner court could be there to help lift her up and support her as she um, takes the next big step for herself. I think it's really wonderful, and I know it's totally her time. Um, and uh, yes, so there's that. That's next Sunday uh, for celebration service, a week from the Sunday. And then the week after that, on the 12th, uh, Fred Wilkie and Alan Page, two of our elders that come sit on the um, Ask the Elders panel, will be offering a workshop together. And um, I think Alan, uh, they talked and I'll talk to you later about it, Kelly. I think Alan will be sharing today, um, a week from the Sunday, he'll be sharing a little bit about the uh, workshop, which you can expect. But it's going to be right after service at 2 p.m. at the Heart Center. And so not only is this a wonderful way to lift up our elders and be able to harvest the wisdom that they have to share, uh, but they're also very gifted facilitators and teaching for years and years and years. Um, and it's something that you'd probably would really like to be at. So, um, Laura Ocean this week, a week from this Sunday, is uh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pashmina, and a week after that is the workshop with Alan Page and Fred Wilkie. So I, um, so I encourage everybody to uh, get on there if you can. Okay. Now, next uh, piece of business, now that I have Jennifer here. Um, you know, 
Jennifer, if I can engage in uh, conversation with you and sort of invite everybody before we really dive into the teachings today. Uh, I'm going to get emotional because it's such a huge thing. Marriage equality um, nationwide. And uh, I just want to reminisce with you, like the journey that we had starting a little over five years ago where that Prop 8 was so active and you know, I want to bow to everyone and just say that we talk about our life experiences both individually and in the collective consciousness being an outpicturing of an inward mm-hmm. condition. Well, I truly believe that this is um, an expression of the healing that we have done in our communities and communities like this, the healing of internalized homophobia and transphobia um, and our willingness to practice true forgiveness, to offer, to use um, the people that seem to oppose us as an opportunity to learn how to practice true forgiveness and true compassion and lift them up and love them and just to see what has unfolded through that is just so Oh, so beautiful and makes me so grateful that we get to do the work that we do here. And um, also just, you know, <laughs> you know, on February 14th, 2010, Jennifer and I showed up early and set up a gay bar because we were really interested in, I mean, it was in one of our initial mission statements to help heal internalized homophobia. And um, I think that we can all say that the mission is unfolding and working and there's still um, more deeper, more layers to peel off and more work to do, but my goodness, what a beautiful, wonderful, exciting time, right, Jennifer? (laughs) And thank you. And I just want to say thank you, Jennifer, for, for guiding me and helping me and supporting me and continuing to do this work and continuing to show up and not, giving up and not quitting and not letting uh, that little that littleness creep in and turn off the lights to this program and this uh, community. And thank you for teaching me the value of community. And thank you for teaching me what is possible when we just continue to say yes and move through that and um, how to reprioritize my life and teaching me what real success is and teaching me the only thing that really matters so masterfully and demonstrating it in your life and as your life. And I just, uh, oh, I get weepy because I'm just so overwhelmed with joy and gratitude for the work that you've done for me and presence you've been in my life. And um, the fact that we have 20 people on this call now that are, um, you know, an extension of your commitment and the commitment that you uh, extended to me and the vision that we were able to create together. So I just really, I'm so grateful to be here with you and just thank you and have this exciting experience with you as well. Well, it's certainly my pleasure. And uh, with, with this Supreme Court decision, what I really feel is that this is the evidence of people's no longer being willing to think less of themselves, that as people rise to the possibilities 
of their life in God, their life of love, that no one can keep them from it. So I often say that I really do know that the gay community is here to help us all recognize the divinity of all life. And as the gay community takes on that that charge of being willing to see themselves as perfect, whole, and complete, they help all humanity see themselves as perfect, whole, and complete. And for me personally, the issue of sexuality is just such a tiny, it's nothing. It's nothing. It, to me, it's nothing. It's just um, it's like hair color or eye color on a certain level. It's, it's something that we chose as a way to express in this world. And it's really about busting up all the coagulated thoughts and density about what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, what's better, what's best, and to give all of that up and to simply be able to say, I'm interested in choosing love today, and today it looks like this. In this moment, it looks like this. And so more people rising in that willingness to simply say, I'm willing to love myself, I'm willing to love other people as expressions of divinity, then all these thoughts of sexism, racism, all kinds of ageism, all the different forms of discrimination fall away. And um, I just wrote an email that I'm going to send out on Monday to my database saying that to me it's no coincidence that we had this extraordinary act of terrorism against this black church and the people there killed um, because of thoughts of racism and that we have this Supreme Court decision that these things happen within about a week of each other. And it's to show us the extreme in our thoughts. And so we have old thinking in its extreme, uh, resulting in an act, act of terrorism and uh, thoughts of love and compassion and understanding and acceptance resulting in uh, uh, the Supreme Court decision. So polar opposites just displaying in the world of form to help us always remember that this is the world where we experience opposites, where we experience duality. That duality isn't real, but our experience of it is for our ultimate recognition of the unity of all life, that we are one with the terrorists, and we're one with the people in that study group, the Bible study group in the basement, just like we're one with the Supreme Court justices, and we're one with someone who thinks that their sexuality, whatever it is, is bad or wrong or not as good as or better than someone else's. We're one with all of these people. We're all expressing in all these different ways in order to have the experience 
of duality. And so, yeah, it's all, it's, it's, it really is about what do we wish to experience in our world. So five years ago, Jesse and I, well, six years ago, more, more like, because um, I think we kind of began in August of 2009, um, in fact, I, I know we did, it was summer of 2009, that we decided to have an experience of spiritual community that was founded in non-judgment and love and self-love and compassion. And so you're participating in that now because we looked in each other's eyes and made that commitment to each other to support a community that we could feel rising. And, uh, and so never for one second doubt that if you feel an inspiration that is motivated by love, that everything that's needed for it to succeed will be provided. Yes. Jennifer, you know, I'd like to share just because I know you don't, avidly read the news or anything. I'm not sure if you know this interesting and really kind of beautiful component of the story in Charleston that uh, two days after the shootings, they had the gunman uh, in court, granted via satellite, but he was there and he could see everything in court. And every one of the uh, people who were killed, every one of their family members got up and forgave him. Uh, two days afterwards, and they said that um, we're willing to forgive you, we're forgiving you for this. And uh, though, you know, I mean, I won't even say though. I just feel like that was such a beautiful um, uh, evidence, I would say, of of a community that's healing as well. You know, oh, yeah. um, such a wonderful, beautiful uh, tool for teaching others, but. Um, you know, we have eight minutes until 11, Jennifer. And would you be okay if we open up the floor and just let people share for just eight minutes um, their experiences uh, this week? I mean, this is a big monumental uh, uh, moment in our history of the country and of, on the planet, I think. So uh, if people would like to share just um, thoughts of gratitude or expressions or anything you'd like to share for just just seven minutes, and then we'll hand it back over to Jennifer. Um, not that we're taking it from her. She's still here. I'm sure she can <laughs> feed in. And, uh, but just to share um, the last couple of days, how, what's been going on with you, what came up, and how are you celebrating or how are you feeling? You don't have to be shy in front of Jennifer. She's a master of non-judgment. <laughs> Folks, Brian here. I think as one of the eldest people in our I have memories going back to a time when being gay was considered a psychological illness, a sin, a crime, so, so deep and so troubling that uh, there was there was no no light, you know it was just all darkness, and through the course of my life in seeing 
first in the 1960s when the American Psychological Association said it was no longer a sickness, uh, to the decision that we have now, the journey, especially the idea that it can never happen in our lifetime. And for me also seeing the Berlin Wall and having that come down. The idea that we have that it will never happen in our lifetime has been proven false over and over again. So holding on to hope, holding on to love, holding on to truth, no matter what, no, in the face of, it doesn't matter what it's in the face of. It's in, incredible what is, what is happening now. And I see a future where, where uh, guns are gone. Uh, we know that in Australia, just overnight, they voted to get rid of guns and they were gone. So I, I think we're at such a cusp, at such a place in our history where anything is possible with enough goodwill and enough activism on people's part, holding on to love, holding on to truth, holding on to nonviolence. So uh, it's just so beautiful to see. Thank you. I kind of echo what this is to Sean. I kind of echo what Brian said, like about just things happening around the world too. Like, you know, I was talking to my students and they're from all over the world and a couple of teachers and I, we were like, oh, oh my God, gay marriage is now legal. And we were saying that. And a lot of the students that come from like countries like <clears throat> Saudi Arabia or Kazakhstan or Russia, they had, like, no sort of expression on their face. They were just, like, staring at us like we said the most, like, horrific thing, and they didn't even smile. And we were just like, isn't that awesome? And they just had this really bleak smile. Um, and then later on, like, in the day, I just saw, like, all of my students sort of changing their um, Facebook profile with the, with the rainbow flag thing, and it was really, really uplifting and I just feel like really hopeful in terms of like the things that are happening around the world like what Brian just mentioned about the guns and also like in France there's this law they're they're trying to pass where um all like food from restaurants and stuff in any supermarket cannot go to waste where it will be illegal to waste uh, food I can't believe I, I can't remember if it's passed or not but it's in the process. And so just like things like that happening to where food is not going to be wasted and it would be illegal, it's just really helpful. Hey, this is Stephen from Charleston. Um, it, uh, yesterday, uh, like a group of us from the yoga studio went down um, to form the, the human wall yesterday because there was word you know, that Westboro was coming. And so it was like 300 of us just forming this wall of, of love in front of the um, auditorium where the president was speaking and um, the speech was coming out, you know, over the speakers. So everyone outside could hear it. And it was just this most amazing, beautiful moment. And, um, and then the Supreme Court ruling came down and uh, we were teaching a, um, having a fundraiser last night for an LGBT youth um, group here in Charleston. And at the beginning of the week, we had like 21 people signed up. And then yesterday, we had 40 people sign up at the last minute. And a guy came, like this older uh, straight guy came and just donated $100 because he was just so happy and proud of his country yesterday. So it's just been an amazing, amazingly beautiful week here this week.
we have two minutes left. If anyone would like to share anything. Hi, it's Brandon. So for me personally, I literally was crying in my bed. Then I was crying on the toilet. Then I was crying in the shower all before 8 a.m. yesterday. And it was interesting because I wasn't watching the news and paying attention to the media as the buildup was happening. I have had experiences in the past for years in which I was enveloped in the activism and the politics of all this that was happening. So my heart kind of had already resigned to the fact that it was happening and I didn't need to pay attention to the time and place in which it was going to happen. But it hit me so profoundly yesterday that I was crying everywhere and anywhere. Like I had a like, you know, I took like, like Michael Lennox said on Thursday, he was like, stoplights were my sign that I was, it was time for me to cry, but in the happy crying way. And obviously there's a lot that comes with it. And I was talking to my friends about why it felt so much more significant than any of the other triumphs for me. And I, I, I've written about this before in terms of intersectionality, but the idea that, um, for instance, seeing the maps where over the years it's been like Massachusetts, then Vermont, then now all these states have marriage equality, and then these are the states that don't. And then in one fell swoop, all of it, you know, being made um, equal. It was, it was really reminiscent to me of what it means to be an American, what it means to be part of the United States of America, using unity as a spiritual principle. And it never really ever felt right that each state should designate unalienable rights, basically, to citizens that are no different from the citizens from the next state under one country. So that idea of unity was really profound. And, you know, I moved to California working, um, I specifically moved to work for the decline assigned during the Prop A tobacco. And I didn't find, I didn't find the right, um, I didn't find the right community in serving that type of aspect. I had come from a spiritual activism background. And so moving to a straight political where they're wrong, they're not doing this right was really interesting to me. So I kind of backed away. But um, one of my former colleagues posted something that was really beautiful. And it's a Mexican proverb that um, is basically, it says, when they thought they buried us, they didn't realize they were planting seeds. And I think this goes to what Jesse was talking about, that um, we took that time to really come in as a community and find out what was uni uniting us. And it, the, there was an identified opportunity with Prop 8, but that wasn't the identifying, that wasn't the unifying force, unifying force was the grace in which we overcame the struggle. So it's been a very, very like, up and down for me um, the past few days, but just in the kind of like a mellow happiness to uh, more exhilaration. I'm trying to maintain a level head. So thank you. Um, thank you. I Go just, ahead, Mrs. Tessie. Okay. I'd just like to uh, add really quickly that, you know, what, what was really the probably the most moving thing to me yesterday was Years and it's many years ago in the early 90s. I uh, I had a deal, a record deal on Warner Brothers. And during the time that I was on Warner, I was marketed 
jointly on two sides of the label. So they had a boutique label that was specifically for the contemporary Christian music audience, and they marketed my projects to that audience through that label, that sub-label, and then they marketed me to the general mainstream pop listening audience. Um, And so over the years, what's happened subsequent to that is many of the people who follow what I do as an artist, follow me via social media, are people who came to know me in that world and at that time. And many are people who identify strongly as uh, devout Christians. And so as a result, I often have an opportunity to see their opinions you know, reflected in their post, and many of those uh, thoughts would uh, you know, um, run counter to who I am as a human being. Um, <clears throat> their political positions, their their positions on issues of um, sexuality, and so on and so forth. And um, so, it's I'm in this interesting position where, although in my my personal circle, the circle that's closest to me, many people are forward thinking and progressive. Um, I would say the vast majority of people who follow me on social media are not. And so, I'm so I've been so accustomed over the years to seeing rather um, being challenged by by seeing really difficult, you know. Um, statements that would seek to dehumanize being made by these people who support me musically. And um, yesterday was so extraordinary because I saw so many of those people. I felt like I was, it was such a clear picture, picture of a real transformation of heart and mind that has occurred in them in this time in which they've been following me. And I know that this, this, um, um, this this thing that happened in terms of this ruling in the Supreme Court is a reflection of that transformation in the hearts and minds of of people in this country. And it was incredible to see them, including ministers, um, pastors of churches, to see people changing their profile pic to this rainbow uh, uh, image and to see them supporting their brothers and sisters who identify as um, LGBTQ. Um, it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing and something that I never imagined I would see. Um, and it really, and, and the message that came to me in that was you got to start imagining bigger. So, um, yeah, that was that was a really powerful thing for me to see those people who for so long felt like my opposition, standing in support of my life. Beautiful. Really beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Everyone, thank you for sharing. And I just want to state a little word of gratitude for how uh, grateful I am to be blessed with such eloquent speakers, (laughs) sharers, uh, beautiful guys. I think it's so great that we... um, uh, are creating platforms for us to share and express freely because uh, I I know that we're in good hands hearing you guys share uh, so beautifully um, and isn't isn't authenticity just like poetry? Well, it is time we have uh, Jennifer here who's going to take the reins now and lead us through um, our class. So. Um, Jennifer, without further ado, it's all you, Mama. 
All right. Um, where would you like me to begin, Jesse? Oh goodness. Why don't uh, Why don't we do a uh, a blessing? Um, just pray us in, and um, we'll just start there. All right. Oh, so let's take a breath of love and gratitude together. Let's open our hearts and open our minds to the truth that we are. Allowing the past to fall away, thoughts of the future to dissolve, bringing ourselves into this present moment right now, awake and available to the I am that I am. The unlimited, unprecedented love of God is what we are. And this love is the only power that there is. It is the only presence in our life. And so we're grateful and thankful to consciously connect and commune with our own higher Holy Spirit self. So grateful in the name of I am that I am to dedicate our time together to this healing, to this expansion, to this clarity, to this wisdom, to this freedom that we already are. So grateful to surrender all thoughts of less than and not enough, anything that could in any way deter us from living a life of love. We surrender it right now and we Say yes to the power of love. In grace and in gratitude, sharing the benefits with all beings, blessing everyone in our community, we simply allow the expansion. We allow the love. We let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. I um, invited Jennifer to um, speak about uh, what it means to be a visionary and what it means to create a container and how to powerfully co-create with other people Um, and to sort of talk about the difference between being a visionary and being an activist and how we can um, continue to contribute to the vision of world peace through um, working inwardly and in the invisible. And um, I've heard, Jennifer, you share so many beautiful teachings about this, especially being sort of raised by activists (laughs) yourself. And, um, you know, I remember once, Jennifer, when... Uh, during the Occupy Wall Street movement, and it was a class with Venerable. And I asked her, uh, you know, how do, we, um, how do we stand for what we believe in or what we feel is right without creating opposition, without creating energizing separation? 
And she just said, we're vision holders. We hold the vision of what it is that we, um, you know, what it is we are interested in creating, what we feel is coming forth. We, we are the vision holders. So go hold the vision and not make, you know, don't energize this 1%, this 99%, this whatever it is. You know, um, hold the vision of world peace. And that really changed my life because... It was that little switch or whatever it was, was that little piece of information that helped me uh, sort of rejigger the trajectory of um, sort of my, I don't know if it's my social identification, but definitely it got me clear as to how I can powerfully contribute uh, in the spiritual community and as a spiritual teacher uh, and as a productive member of society. So I'd love to hear what's coming up for you um, about this today well uh, uh, Gandhi is one of the teachers I claim Gandhi and Dr. King uh, very important teachers in consciousness for me and Gandhi had a powerful statement uh, that the world is very familiar with which is to be the change you'd like to see in the world be the change you'd like to see in the world. And that is the, the teaching of A Course in Miracles. It's the teachings of Jesus is for us to be the change that we'd like to see in the world. And when um, I was very much involved in peace activism when the Gulf War started up again uh, and... Uh, whenever that was, um, 12 years ago or whatever. And what I noticed in being very involved with so many peace activists is that many of them were not peaceful. And so I understood why they were drawn to the peace movement because they were interested in really living in a peaceful world. And in their mind, it wasn't peaceful. But I also noticed that they gave themselves permission to attack. And so I saw, oh, what well, I saw the contrast there. That, oh, here are people who are not feeling. Whoop. Were you able to hear me? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Because my, my headset's acting a little weird. So there, here were people who were hoping to have peace in the world and taking action that they thought would make peace happen in the world. And inwardly, they still were giving themselves permission to have unpeaceful thoughts. And that's pretty common. That's pretty common. And it just delays our healing. So for me, I really take to heart this teaching of be the change you'd like to see in the world. And one of the ways that A Course in Miracles helps us to understand it is it says nothing real can be threatened and nothing unreal exists. And that everything that we experience in this world of form is a projection of our mind. And so everything is a projection of our mind because there's only one mind and we're all one. 
So there's nothing outside of our mind that we can possibly experience in this world. And everything that we experience in this world that we do not like, it's up to us to change our mind about it. That's how the healing can take place. And so that is how we get to be visionaries, is we're holding this vision of remembering our true identity and experiencing our true identity, which is peace, love, wholeness, freedom, prosperity, joy, abundance, creativity, beauty, wisdom, harmony, clarity. All these spiritual qualities are our inheritance. They are our true identity. And nothing unlike them is real. Nothing unlike them is real. They're all appearances that are the result of the projection of our belief system and we have the power to change our mind about them. And we have these beautiful examples in our world of a single human being walking in the world so willing to hold a vision of peace and love and self-acceptance, self-love, that they can literally inspire a nation of people in the world uh, to change their minds about things. Because when we can inspire people to change their minds about things, then things in the world change. So the marriage equality experience that we've had in the last decade or so is a perfect example of that, of people being inspired to think about something, to change their minds about it. But the Supreme Court decision would never have happened if gay people hadn't changed their own minds about marriage equality and deciding that that was something that was valuable to them. It wouldn't have happened. Just like it wouldn't have happened that um, the schools would have been integrated in the United States with blacks and whites together if there weren't a group of visionary people who felt that that was valuable, that they could feel and have a vision, Martin Luther King Jr. called it a dream, where we would coexist peacefully, that we would hold each other's hands and love and appreciate each other without a visionary to hold that vision, then things in the world don't change because the people who are holding a different thought have no motivation to change. What is so wonderful in this world is that a single person holding a vision of love, of peace, of harmony, of equality, of joy, of freedom, that one person is so much more powerful 
then thousands, perhaps even hundreds of thousands or millions of people who are holding a thought of oppression, unworthiness, attack, lack, and limitation. So there's not one person in your world who could have a belief against you or seeming to be against you that could ever, 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 ever in this world be more powerful than you knowing the truth about you. So our human experience shows us very dramatic examples of this. We see them at every level. We see them at international, national, local, community, and family levels. So in a very real sense, you have an opportunity to decide how impactful your life will be. It's a decision that you can make. And how you make that impact in your world, in your life, in your family, is you train your mind to look for the loving choice. Because love is the only power. There is no other power in this world. So as I said in the last time that I shared with you, where our power is is when we invest our attention in something, when we invest our belief in it. Then it it's like it inflates it and makes it seem real to us. It seems to give it power and volition. But thoughts of negativity, thoughts of not enough, unworthiness, the thought that you can't do something, that you don't have what it takes, that you don't have resources, that something or someone is working against you, any thought of negativity can only have the power in your world that you give to it. Because thoughts have no power unless you think so. And so in every second of every day, you're choosing what thoughts you're going to think. You might not be aware of it, but as you're doing these studies, you become more and more aware of it. So it's a question of how vigilant you're going to become. You know, it's like some people who have a garden they have no weeds in their garden. They have no weeds in their lawn. They have none. They're not allowed to take root. They don't get to thrive in their garden. Some gardeners, they weed periodically. Some gardens are just overgrown with weeds. So you see, the Holy Spirit gives us these beautiful examples in the world to show us what our mind looks like. And we get to decide what kind of gardener we're going to be. Nobody else decides what kind of gardener we're going to be.
And so the, the temptation very often is to say, well, I'm just going to think these negative thoughts because they don't have big ramifications. But if you could step out of time and space and you could see all the ramifications of a single negative belief or all the ramifications of a single positive awareness, you, you would never choose a negative belief again. So it's about operating in faith and in trust. And so that's why we have people who are ahead of us on the road a little bit more, like Jesse is, to, to demonstrate what can be done. So not that everyone needs to start a spiritual community or get a law passed. It's really just about making that one loving choice that you can make today instead of making an unloving choice. So that's how you really live a life of vision because it's not about what you do in the world of effects. What, you, what happens in the world of effects is a result of what you're doing on the inside. Holding the vision is one of the hardest things that we are asked to do. So for instance, uh, one of the things that I find most common is that most spiritual students, they really, really, really would simply like to be able to just be loving. They'd like to be loving in their family. They'd like to be loving with their friends, in their relationships, and in their workplace. And yet, if you start to really pay attention to how many times in a day you give yourself permission to be unloving to yourself and others, if you were to start to write those down, it would really benefit you because you would start to become much more aware of it. A lot of times I give my students assignments about keeping a list of the judgments, keeping a list of the negative choices, keeping a list because the task of writing it down, cataloging it, really bringing your awareness to the choices that you're making will in and of itself become motivation to make different choices. And we're always working in the invisible realm of thought because that's how everything in the world of form comes into manifestation. I think one of the biggest challenges that spiritual students have is that they are still thinking that things in the world of form are going to validate them or make them happy. And so holding the vision that you're already perfect, whole, and complete is... Uh, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge to train your mind to do that. But it's like that um, kind of, I, I don't know what what you would call it, but uh, people who say, well, I'd rather play tennis with someone who's far better than I am than someone I can beat because the person who's better than me is going to help me improve my game. So by holding the highest possible vision that you can have for your life, for your personal expression, without judgment, holding a vision without judgment is going to be life-changing for you. So for me, the vision that I hold for my life is I am the Christ. 
I'm the Christ. And I aspire to live as the Christ, to demonstrate as the Christ. That's the vision for my life. Now, what that looks like in the world of form in terms of accomplishment and where I go and what I do and who I connect with and what my body looks like, I, I'm not interested in focusing on any of that. But I am interested in working in the invisible in terms of focusing on what I would like to feel. So I always like to feel in tune with the spiritual qualities that are my true nature. So to feel beauty and to feel beautiful, to feel prosperous, to feel loved and loving, to feel peaceful and harmonious, to feel creative and to feel creative expression moving through me. Holding these aspirations, these intentions, and actively choosing them as the goal for this hour, this morning, this afternoon, this day. That's how you really live as a visionary. So holding the vision that you are a loving presence in your life. You're a beneficial presence in your life. For me, one of the things I began to do when I was Um, preparing to become a practitioner, preparing to study as a practitioner, is I had this aspiration that I would like to be able to walk into a room and that every single person in that room would feel uplifted and inspired without me having to do anything or say anything. That no one had to recognize that the shift in vibration came from my presence in the room, but they would feel it, they would know it, they would be inspired by it, they would be healed and changed by it. That became my true aspiration, to be that awake, that in tune, that I could simply walk in the world being a healing, beneficial presence. And I truly didn't wish for any recognition unless that was somehow beneficial to other people. Now, I'm a pretty private person. I actually don't like a lot of attention. I I prefer to kind of walk in the world without a lot of people noticing me. But there are times when it's really beneficial to call attention to what I'm doing. So I've learned that's okay. So, but I've, I've, I've really had, in order to be able to move into that space, I had to give up any idea of, oh, thinking that uh, I was unworthy or to thinking that, I had to have some kind of, any, any kind of prerequisite uh, in terms of the way I looked, what other people thought about me, the kind of clothes I had, and all that stuff had to fall away in order for me to just be able to 
live my aspiration. And from that, everything in my life and ministry has come into being. And it teaches me every day. And it's an adventure. So holding the vision is in your family. For instance, when I started really working with this back when I was in my later 20s, I started from a place of self-loathing, wanting to kill myself, and feeling really helpless, really, really so entrenched in a negative mindset that I thought I'm going to have to work a 100 lifetimes with incredible dedication to just get to a place of feeling like I'm a beneficial presence. But I don't care because I know that that is the only thing I really desire. So 100 lifetimes, 110, 87 lifetimes, it doesn't matter. Just that's what I'm doing from now on. I'm clearing my mind of all this negativity. And I truly didn't know how to do it, but I just started putting one foot in front of the other, and I was led and guided. And I began to change the patterns in my mind, and I began to talk about it with my family. So one of the ways that I became a visionary in my family was I started to hold in my mind a vision where everybody in the family was loving and respectful with each other. Now, I wasn't loving and respectful with myself, so it would have been insane to demand of my family that they be loving and respectful with me and with each other. However, what I could do was I could go to them and say, I am holding this vision of love for myself, that everybody in my life is going to treat me with love and kindness, and that I'm going to treat myself with love and kindness. So I'm eliminating from my life the people who aren't willing to treat me with love and kindness. And when my family would treat me unkindly or be sarcastic and judgmental towards me, I would say to them, hey, Remember I told you I'm really cultivating a life of love and kindness? These things that you're saying to me now, they don't feel loving and kind. So I really do not wish that in my life. And I'm asking you not to speak to me that way, not to treat me that way. And at first they just like, what? They just thought I was like on some insanity kick. Like, they just really just thought, what? They just didn't even, it was like I suddenly started speaking Swahili. And, um, but I was persistent in it because I really meant it. And I knew I couldn't change my mind overnight, so I didn't expect them to change theirs. Now, I'm not saying I was a saint or a, that I was like Gandhi or King in those situations. I wasn't because I, I was still engaging with them sarcastically and stuff. But then I would remember my aspiration, my intentions, and my goals, and I would come into my right mind and I would say, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I'd like to only speak loving and kindly to myself and everyone else and have and be treated that way. So... 
are you willing to recalibrate with me? Are you willing to take a time out and come back? And, and um, you know, I had different experiences with my family, but I made a decision that I was going to give three years to this process of transformation in my family. And I would say to them, look, I just want to remind you that I'm really intent on only having loving, kind of conversations. So you don't have to change. You don't have to do that. You really don't. However, if you're not willing to move in that direction with me, I will stop spending time with you. We'll always be family, but we don't have to spend time together. We don't have to speak to each other. I will, I will move away from having any interaction with you. So you see, I wasn't saying to them, I'm never going to speak to you again. I wasn't you know, being accusatory, I was really holding a high watch for all of us, holding this vision of love for my family. And everything in my family was transformed. And people don't speak that way to each other in my family. And they actually stopped in just a few years. You know, there was still residue of it and everything, but it just doesn't really happen very much anymore. It's very rare. We used to fight and argue and be sarcastic a lot, and now, um, I mean, I there was no way I could spend an hour with my brother without there being sarcasm, and now I can, I can have literally live in his house for a month, and there's no sarcasm. So it takes one person holding the vision because one with God is a majority because there is no other. And that's the most important thing to understand about all these spiritual teachings is there is no other. There is no separation. There's just one. So when you change your mind, It ripples everywhere, everywhere. There is no place that it won't touch. And the more committed you are to it, the more impactful it is. You know, it was Margaret Mead who um, famously said that... um, it, it only takes a small group of people to change the world. In fact, it's always been just a small group of people that will change the world. So don't think you need a large group of people. You do not. One with God is a majority. And I think that any spiritual practitioner that um, doesn't hold that vision of love for their world, their family, their workplace, everywhere that they are, their community, they're not doing their job. Because so, that to me is what a practitioner is. A practitioner is a holder of consciousness. And a true practitioner does not give themselves permission to knowingly 
think thoughts of separation. All right. Well, it feels like that's a, a good place to take a break and see if anybody has any questions or any sharing. The floor is opened. Uh, Jennifer, this is Lisa. How are you doing? Thank you so much for that. Yes. I had an experience the other day where I tried to talk to my higher self. Uh, (laughs) I thought I might try having a conversation with my higher self. And um, I really did notice something very profound, which was, I think most of the time I'm just really not aware that I'm not really listening to my higher self. I'm just kind of walking around with my face turned the opposite way, kind of. And it really was, uh, I when I started talking to my higher self, I I jerked. I, I noticed my body jerking at one point. I was like, what is that? And, um, but I'm, I noticed that I really don't have anything that comes up for me that I, that I want to do exactly. Walking around for a long time, and other people are saying, "Do this," you know, are offering, you know, "Do this" or whatever. And you know, it's kind of like my life. I just open myself up to say yes, but so often I don't really. There's just nothing coming up where I choose what I'm going to do, and I'm wondering why that is. If you can help me with that, or if there's anything. If you have an experience with that. Well, let me ask you, what do you think is going on? Um, I, I, maybe there's some sort of a, something I'm trying to, uh, uh, a mindset that has to do with uh, the maybe thinking unconsciously or now consciously that everything that I decide to do eventually after I do it, it's really not, I find out it's really not really what I wanted to do. It's something, it's just not right. It's a little off. Okay. So um, you decide to take a shower, you go take a shower, and afterwards it feels a little off. 
Well, I guess not like things like that. So not everything. Yeah, not everything. I guess like a, having a goal in the future is what I'm talking about. Goal for the future. Well, what's a goal for the future? Uh, well, I think maybe you were talking about that, like having a vision, holding a vision. You you set out to do something, and then you accomplished it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that feels really. When you talked about it, I really thought, wow, I really would like to do something like that. I've never thought about that. Thought about it like that before. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Just it's really just a goal about your own mind. Mhm. You hold some, and you know, I think that maybe is maybe what I'm look have been looking for, like a goal like that. So, yeah, these are the kinds of aspirations, intentions, and goals that are life changing because you literally prove to yourself that God works that working in the invisible works. And so then you realize, I'm not a victim, I'm not powerless, I'm incredibly powerful. And I can decide what kind of life I'd like to live. And for many people, that is actually terrifying. Because, and the only reason it's terrifying for people is because they are truly committed to holding on to complaints, judgments, and opinions. People who are committed to holding on to judgments, complaints, and opinions, unforgiveness. And when they feel like it, being a victim and blaming other people, they are terrified of recognizing the power of their thoughts because then they would have to take responsibility for their experience and their life, and it would be a total reorientation to them. But the fact is that really it's they're identified with the ego, and that's why they're terrified. They think that they are a separate victim, and they've come to actually value that, but only because they've so intensely forgotten who they are. And the good news is, is that literally people can change in a moment. And they do all the time. All the time. They change in a moment. That's amazing grace. So, Now, in that three-year period that I gave myself and my family to shift and change, there was never a time during that, Lisa, when I was having these conversations and experiences with my family that it didn't feel off to me. It didn't feel challenging or strange or weird or 
is what you might call off. It, it felt that way all the time because anytime we're not aligned with love and joy and peace and harmony and wisdom and clarity and freedom, it feels off. Yeah, I think that's why I just hold back because I, I, I already seem to think that it's, it's going to be off. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe what you're talking about is really what I was could really sink my teeth into or try to do. Yeah. So and here's the thing: is give it all to God. It really is. God is the one who's doing this, and I am one with God. Because people often, I think, mean, one of the biggest errors people make in this world is people say things like, I don't know what God wants me to do. And the fact is that the fact is that God, which is the unity of all life, the one mind, it doesn't have any lack. So there's no wanting or needing ever. Only the ego, the false, separate mind, uh, not mind, the false, separate thought system has thoughts of needing and wanting. And when we align with believing that we're separate, then we start feeling that we want and we need. The reason why we feel we want and we need and we have lack is because we're believing that we're separate from the source of all good. But when we are willing to remember that we're one with the source of all good, there is no sense of lack because we have it. We're one with it. We are it. It's only when we believe we're not it that we experience wanting and needing and lack. And so we're allowing ourselves to remember the truth, which is that we're one with the source of all good. So, and it's it's an adventure. It's an adventure. And, and uh, I, I truly believe that as our mind opens up, we can even laugh about, oh my God, for so many years I believed that I was poor. Oh my God, for so many years I believed that my happiness depended on another person. Oh my God, and we'll be able to see with a light heart all that we learned from the experience that we gave ourselves and we'll stop labeling things bad and wrong and just see what it is. is, Oh, this is how I chose to learn this. I chose to learn this by choosing poverty consciousness and exploring poverty consciousness. It's not because I was stupid or bad or wrong. I chose to really explore... Uh, thinking I was worthless, that my life wasn't worth living, so that I could really understand that, not because I'm stupid or bad or wrong. I mean, if we could look at all Jesus' incarnations, and if we saw an incarnation where he was the village idiot, not that I'm saying that he had one, but if he did, would we look at that and say, well, that's because he was an idiot. He was stupid. He was bad. He was wrong. 
No, we'd say, oh, well, <laughs> he was exploring that. I mean, did Jesus get crucified because he made mistakes? So it's about really moving out of all judgment and opinion and really focusing on what would you like to experience. So what would you like to experience, Lisa? How would you like to feel? Well, um, I really, there's something inside me that really wants to be on an adventure and just have that feeling of something awesome happening being right in the middle of it, uh, just the mystery and adventure of it, and that I'm part of it, and that I play an important role, which is all very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. That's already happening, right? Well, it's all very true, uh, yeah. I mean, we all part, play an important role. So that would be something that I would have to think about, that I already have that, yeah. See, and this is the exact thing that we're all experiencing. We already have the kingdom of God. It's already been given to us. But we hold in our mind that it's not and that we're in lack. It's missing. We have to go find it. We're searching for the Holy Grail, and we're looking outside ourselves. We're looking for somebody to point the way, someone to show it to us, someone to help us find it, someone to go with us. And the fact is, we're all joined together, and we all already have it. So that's why, for me, it's really powerful to work with a simple affirmation like, I am willing to know the kingdom of God is already mine. I am willing to experience the kingdom of God in my own heart and mind. I am willing to know the truth that sets me free. And you know what? Sometimes it seems like a really big struggle because we've been identified with the ego for so long and we have believed the ego thought system is what we are. Not that our putting our attention on it gives it life. Instead, we've come to think it's what we are. So we're shifting our identification. That's what A Course in Miracles tells us, that every problem we have is because we are wrongly identified with the ego and the belief in lack. And if we can just shift our identification to the truth, to the oneness, then all appearances of lack and the causes of suffering will disappear instantaneously. And we hold in our mind that it's a journey and that it takes time, but it that's only the appearance. It's not the truth. And I really think that we, the people on this call, are the ones who are shifting the minds of the human race about that, just like shifting the mind about marriage equality. 
You know, it was only a few years ago where it felt like marriage equality was really going to be a ways off. Because i got to tell you, I, I, I know there was a call from the L.A. Um, Gay and Lesbian Center for people to come and work on a um, marriage equality campaign um, in in the area. And they had a call for volunteers at a very specific date and time. And I was the only one who showed up. I was the only volunteer in the city of Los Angeles. I'm a straight woman. I was the only one who showed up to volunteer. They did an email blast to all their people several times about it, and I was the only one who made the trip down there to the center. And I saw that, and I thought, hmm, this is very interesting. What is this about? So I think this is one of the things that is, in a sense, particular work for the gay community to do because the gay community is um, not the majority. And yet, with marriage equality happening, they're changing the mind of the majority, not that the majority was against marriage equality, but I think the majority, for the majority, it was not something they were fighting for or felt they needed to have because it didn't, they didn't understand how directly it affected them. I did. I do. So... there is a sense of density that the gay community has experienced in terms of feeling that they're other, they're outside of, that people are against them. And there's been so much evidence to support that. And yet there's also so much evidence to say that's not true. And it's just a question of what are you going to do? Are you going to evaluate the evidence, which is what the ego does? Or are you going to hold the vision of what is the life that you would like to lead? What is the difference that you're going to make in your life? And are you willing to make that difference in your life? And even if it feels like you're pushing a herd of elephants uphill, Are you going to do it anyway? Because you know that if you're 100% committed, those elephants are going to run up that hill. So if, if you have been taught that what you think and what you feel in your life doesn't matter, and that's been in your face for a really long time, just think of the difference it makes in the world, in the human race consciousness, that you're willing to change your mind about yourself.
That's why someone like Gandhi is one of the most admired people ever in the history of the world. Because he's kept saying over and over again, I have to change my mind about myself. I have to change my mind about what, how I'm going to treat myself. How can I expect people to do, uh, to behave if I'm not willing to behave that way? There's that wonderful story of the, the, the family brought the child to Gandhi and the child had, I don't know, diabetes or some kind of issue and he wasn't supposed to eat any sugar and they couldn't stop him from eating sugar. He was always sneaking snacks and treats and sugar and they were afraid for his life. And they went to Gandhi and they said, will you please talk to him and tell him, explain to him why he shouldn't eat the sugar and make him stop. So Gandhi said, yes, I'll do that, but give me two weeks and come back in two weeks. So they went away and they came back in two weeks and he talked to the boy privately and then he said, come back in two weeks again. And then they came back again and they said, oh my God, he totally stopped eating the sugar. What did you say to him? What did you say to him? And uh, he said, well, first I had to take two weeks and make sure I couldn't eat, I could be happy without eating sugar. Because how could I ask this boy not to eat any sugar when I'm eating sugar? So all of you and your family, you're eating sugar and you're expecting him not to eat any sugar. You're asking him to do something you're not willing to do. Of course, he's not going to comply. So I told him, I'm not going to eat any sugar because he can't eat any sugar. But first, I had to make sure I could hold to that because I couldn't tell it to him unless I knew it to be true. So he knew that I knew that I was going to live a sugar-free life in order to support him in doing the same. And then he knew I was with him, and so we were the two together. And it was easier for him. So this is how we operate in all areas of our life. I'm going to do it. So that's what I said to my family. I am interested in being a loving and kind person. I am interested in speaking loving and kindly to myself. And I'm asking everyone in my world to join me in that. And that's how I got the world to change. And it's very rare that people speak to me unkindly now. And when they do, I don't take it personally. It's a cry for love. So everything is an inside job. But so often we get so distracted at trying to change the world. Holding the vision and being a visionary is really about being inner focused. And most of the time, it's really important not to tell anybody what you're doing and to just do it. Because most people don't have the mastery of their mind that other people's doubt won't influence them. So I would invite you all to pick some significant goal in your life where you're going to change your mind about it. And you don't have to tell anyone. Maybe your prayer partner. And then actively 
pay attention to every thought that comes in for you to shift and change. And instead of doing it with a sense of, oh, this is so hard, do it with, oh, look, there's another one I can, another belief I can hand over, another thought that doesn't serve me. They're all coming to light now. Isn't that wonderful? They're not hiding anymore. I can see them now. It's easier to deal with what I can see than what was hidden. How wonderful. And people will come into your life to challenge you. And when they do, instead of being resentful or thinking that it's hard, say, isn't this wonderful? This is an opportunity for me to rise to the challenge. I rise in God. I don't know how to do this, but God does. And I'm one with God, so I can relax. So pick, pick something, Lisa, that you'd like to really experience differently in your life, about how you'd like to feel about yourself and about your life. And put real focus and attention on it. Yeah, I have something in um I have something in mind. I really wanna <coughs> maybe wanna see it to the end, but like you say it's better just to just do it instead of talking about it. Yeah. It's really about being it. Yep. Just being it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Nice. Well, I'm thinking right now is even if it doesn't work out, it's which it, I know it will work out, but I know the ego has these thoughts. Well, what if it doesn't happen? But uh, it doesn't matter because I really want to try to make it to the end either way. Yeah, if, when the ego says, what if it doesn't happen, then you say, it is happening. That's a meaningless question, ego, because it is happening. It's happening in my mind right now. Yeah, that's what I really want to do. So, if that's what, if it's something really that you want to do, of course you should do it because what else are we here for? And it's really about the being. I really, really made up my mind I'd like to be loving and kind. I was tired of living in an angry, resentful, attacking, shaming, sarcastic, judgmental world. So I put my attention on being loving and kind. It was super challenging, but it was also at times it was really exciting because I saw I can really be successful if I'm willing.
Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Anybody else? Jennifer, in the vision-making process, I find that one of sort of a um, really like hot word that people use a lot is container or we'll hold the space, we'll hold the container, we'll create the container, we'll hold the space that for something to unfold or we're holding the container for something to, uh, you know, to manifest. What does that mean exactly and how can we effectively create a container? Well, I I started using that phrase of holding a container because I, I got it from Ernest Holmes. So in uh, the Science of Mind textbook, he talks about uh, if you don't, that, that God basically flows into your experience and fills the container or the mold that your thoughts and beliefs are forming. And so another way to express it is that the situations, the circumstances, the experiences, and the forms of your life are the byproduct of your thinking and your beliefs. So if you do not like what you're experiencing, then the thing is to create a different mold, if you will. So I call that mold a container. Um, And so when we have thoughts and beliefs, the more we're invested in them, so the more we're convinced of them, the stronger that container seems to be. And it's as though God, the ethers, life flows into it and will produce situations, circumstances, events, experiences, feelings, emotions that are taking that shape and reflecting that back to us. And so many times, uh, I've worked with so many practitioners over the years who said to me privately, you know, Jennifer, I can pray for someone else, but I just can't seem to pray for myself. And so it's a typical experience that practitioners have that they will pray about something, but it's not what they actually believe and they're not really working on their belief system uh, and eliminating the belief system, Uh, they think that just praying will do it. 
And so it's, um, I find it's more effective to work on uh, different, in, in different approaches all simultaneously to really be pervasive. So if you're thinking the thought, um, I am abundant, you're praying to be abundant and to be prosperous. But then throughout the day you think, I can't pay this bill. I'm not going to have enough money to pay my bills. Um, what if they don't pay me? Then I can't pay these bills. Um, oh, what if we go out to dinner and um, they want to pick a restaurant I can't afford? Then I'm going to be in trouble. We start thinking all these kinds of thoughts throughout the day. So what we're doing is we're taking that mold or that container of that prayer, I'm abundant, I am prosperous, and we're just poking holes in it so it becomes like a shift. It can't hold anything because our mind isn't holding anything. Our mind is not holding the thought, I am prosperous, I am abundant. So the thing is, is the, the thought, I am prosperous or I'm abundant, is not, I'm prosperous, I'm abundant if I'm identified with the ego. Because you know what? If I'm identified with the ego, I will not be prosperous. I will not be abundant. It's not possible. Because the ego is not prosperous and the ego is not abundant. I am is prosperous. I am is abundant. I am that I am. So holding that vision, holding that container, it becomes something that is um, it's something that it helps to think about it just like you would think about having a workout program at the gym, okay? If you're not in shape, if your physical body is not, flexible and strong and if you don't um, have good cardiovascular ability, then the thing you would do is you would start out and build some strength and some tone and some flexibility and some cardio capacity, lung and heart capacity, and you would build up and build up. You wouldn't just run a marathon because you know you would fail. But you see, this is what the ego often tries to get us to do. I can't tell you how many spiritual students have come to me and then um, come to a class or things like that, and then this used to happen all the time where they would come and they would say, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meditate every day from now on. And I'd say, you know what? You're just only the ego is going to make a statement like that. Because the spirit is really going to be in the present moment and be committed to expressing itself, the I am, in the fullness of the I am in this moment. The I am presence will not say what it's going to do tomorrow or the next day or the next day. It's now, in this moment, I'm committed to my spiritual practice. Now, in this moment, I'm committed to being loving. Now, in this moment, 
I'm committed to remembering my true identity is prosperity, is wholeness, is freedom. You know, it's that take no thought for how you're going to be fed in the future. Which doesn't mean that you spend everything that you have today. Because again, that would, only the ego would be interested in doing that. But the spirit might invest everything that it has today. So, I really about, love that, Jennifer. What do you I love really about it? Well, I love that uh, what you said about the I am is present because I feel like there's what what occurred to me was that um, in just in that moment, uh, something switched, and I was like, oh, that's how we keep ourselves in this feeling of failing is that we develop this. I mean, it's so hot right now to do like a 21-day something, you know, like a 21-day cleanse or whatever, 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 and say, well, I'm going to do that because that's going to help me uh, be the practitioner, the whatever that I want. So for 21 days, I'm going to meditate. And oftentimes it's people that will start something like that that have never meditated before, have no experience with creating a disciplined practice or anything. And even some of the, sometimes, um, you know, uh, an experienced practitioner or meditator will start something that they think is going to be great for 21 days, uh, but maybe they don't resonate with it or it's not for them. And then in not completing it, then that really familiar sense of failing, falling up short, not doing it enough, whatever it is, um, you know, gets to come again to the surface. And I've done that so many times, and I never really um, gotten, uh, uh, I've never been able to have the clarity that I just had with that. I'm like, oh, yeah, like that is so like something, like, there, like for me specifically, it's uh, with Vedic meditation. Um, you know, uh, I've, uh, I have a good friend that teaches it and it's really transformed her life and I've just seen such wonderful things happen with her. And, um, but there is this sense that I project onto her that she's doing it right and I'm doing it wrong. And so I think, you know, if I could just get disciplined enough to do Vedic meditation, you know, even if I can just do it for 21 days in a row, twice a day, 20 minutes, it's 40 minutes, I can do that, that's no problem then I know that I can really, you know, go deeper into my practice. And without fail, every time, I just don't. And, and it's because I feel there, uh, a part of me is like, oh, Jesse, you forget, this isn't for you. <laughs> like, like, it's not that you're not disciplined enough. It's not that you're not good enough. It's not that there's not some sort of spiritual depth that you can't comprehend. It's that this isn't for you. And... um and I realized, oh, there is sort of this uh, kind of a, uh, I don't want to say addiction, but a tendency to like to feel like I'm just coming up short or there's something that I'm just not getting in this spiritual game. And so I will 
tried to create a container of quote unquote discipline, but what it is is I'm taking on something that I'm not drawn to, which I don't have like a higher part of me is saying this isn't for you anyway. You know why are you doing this anyway? But doing it, um, and then uh, so I can sort of feel stunted or um, or not good enough or something to that capacity. Uh, and you, the way that you just taught that, I get, oh, that's totally ego, trying to create, you know, something, staying out of the present moment, not being, not not thinking that I had the sources or the tools, or the resources or the tools now to be peaceful now, even though I know I do, it's pre-installed within me. And that uh, this, uh, the ego trying to uh, discover ways uh, that, um, uh, you know, find what, how I'm not doing it right when I have a practice that I really love that I always feel is super beneficial to me. And, of course, evolves as I evolve, but it's all good, you know. So um, that part really spoke to me of not, not necessarily creating a container, uh, well, maybe creating a container for uh, upset or disappointment but releasing that tendency and creating a container in the moment, every moment, allowing the container to grow and expand with every breath, with every thought, being present. It's kind of a beautiful, beautiful uh, idea and gives me permission to feel successful again, to feel available and present and to feel, in a lot, to feel aligned and creative. It's, it's very important, very valuable to understand what is the reason why we're doing things. So if we're doing things to get something, we are affirming that we don't have it. And if we're doing things to explore something, what is the exploration? So, for instance, if I'm doing sit-ups and push-ups in order to be buff, I'm thinking that buffness has some value to me, right? What is that value? It's really important to know what is that value. Is it actually something valuable? And so... If I'm going to do this meditation every day, why am I doing it? What is my my motivation? If I'm quitting smoking, what is what is it really about? And so for me, one of the things that's really helped me is I realized that ego provides motivation and spirit provides inspiration. And that if I can look for the inspiration, which is the vision, then I will be aligned with the power and the presence of God. If I'm moving from motivation, I'm moving from lack and limitation. And even if I meet my goal, it will not bring me benefit, not really. That the faster path to my healing is to look for inspiration. So with holding that vision in my family, I was inspired by feeling 
peaceful and loving, but I also was motivated by feeling self-hatred and suffering from not being loving. And the more I began to hold the vision and be inspired by how wonderful it felt to be loving and peaceful, I was much more successful than being motivated by feeling like a loser and being unhappy because I was being unloving. So the vision is to pull us energetically, magnetically. It's so much more powerful than motivation pushing us, avoiding suffering, pushing us. So, And that's a process because a lot of people, they're so identified with the ego, they, their ego experience really will work very hard to prevent them with connecting with the higher self and experiencing the inspiration and the vision because the ego knows that that's a life changer. And so for me, part of really being able to be a vision holder is being able to work with the ego and and to put the ego at service to the I am present. And so when the ego wants to be in charge and wants to be creating an uproar, a ruckus, or a motivation, I turn, literally in my mind, I turn to the ego and say, you're not in charge. The I am presence is in charge. So you're going to have to be still now. The I am presence is in charge. And watch and learn and listen. Because I'm still... I'm still using the ego to have a body and to have a human experience. So the ego is still valuable to me in that sense, just on that practical level, because I like being in human form. I'm still experiencing learning and growing from it. I'm still, you know, it's this incredible return to the Christ that I'm experiencing. So I'm not wishing to not have an ego anymore, but I've put the I am in charge of my life and the ego. And where the ego used to scream, and it was excruciating just to make a simple choice, like not to eat that, or not to have sex with that person, or not to judge that person. That is no longer happening for me. It's not excruciating anymore. I thought that would never go away. And then I realized, oh, it did go away. So really looking at when there's motivation, can you transform your relationship to whatever the thing is into inspiration? Because for many people, the ego is driving their spiritual practice. So, yeah, Vedic meditation is not your path. You tried it out. But, you know, it's like I have some, as you well know, I have friends who are um, very advanced Buddhists and um, having tremendous expansion working with the Buddhist teachings. But they just don't resonate for me. I like the teachings of the Ascended Masters, St. Germain, Lord and Jesus. 
those are the teachings that really resonate for me. But it's all one. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing. We have five minutes, guys, and I would love someone to be able to share or ask a question in AA. We would call it a burning desire, which is a short share (laughs) or a question. So if anyone um, heard anything or had anything come up, would like to share or just give uh, a word of gratitude to Jennifer for her beautiful teachings today. Um, You have uh, another four minutes, and then we'll um, have Jennifer close out with a blessing. I'd like to just thank Lisa for asking her question. I had a really similar question, but didn't really know it until we got into the conversation. So in your asking that question, I actually got a lot of answers for myself. So thank you, Lisa, and thank you, Jennifer. Nice. That's very nice. Always ask the questions, guys. You know, I'll share one more thing that if there's ever an opportunity to go first in being kind or generous or patient or forgiving, go first. Not that it's better to go first, but don't hesitate. Go first. Like, and if there's a prayer circle, does anybody want to pray? Sometimes the people who almost always say, I'll pray, will hold back to give somebody else a chance to pray. But even if you don't feel comfortable, pray anyway. Go first anyway. Because that's how you learn to feel comfortable. You know, it's like sometimes I go to aerobics dance classes with my sister-in-law, and always the one who's going in the wrong direction Everybody's going to the right, I'm going to the left, and I'll get to the right, but I haven't finished going to the left yet. And But I just, I go anyway. Well, thanks for the gift of uh, my fantasy of you in, a, in an aerobic dance class. Um, just brought a lot of joy to me. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, and um, why don't you, uh, I just want to say again, thank you so much for your time and your willingness to come share with us. And I'll um, hand it over to you to pray us out. And uh, just a reminder that, real quick, guys, last little piece of business. Um I believe practitioners in group two, uh, who's up for this um, this this week to do um, 
hospitality. I'm looking for my list. I know Brandon was last week, and he did it great. And Lisa came in from our first group of practitioners. So I believe it might be, uh, is it Martha for uh, Inspire LA? Say that again? Are you you on the hospitality ministry uh, for Inspire LA this week? Honestly, I have no idea. I thought I was on the second one. So, but I could be there. It's either Martha or Mark. I think Mark's the first one. Um, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you come on down, 1030 tomorrow, and then can I get a volunteer from our first year, first group, uh, to I think I am Soki for tomorrow. Soki. Oh, okay, great. Okay. 1030? Uh, yeah, 1030. You know, Mark, okay. I think it was Soki. So you can come if you'd like. If not, uh, that's okay, too. Soki, see you at 1030 there with Tom and one person from our first year. Yeah, if, I could, if people haven't uh, done it before, they can come a little earlier so I can show them and train them exactly what needs to be done. Then, you know, this way it, uh, uh, it'll it facilitate it in the future that then they know what to do because we have that list and I'll go by that list and I'll, I'll be training them from that. Uh-huh. Great. Come on, guys. This is service opportunity. It's what we, we live for. Hey, Jesse, this is Mar. Um, I can't uh-huh. make it to service. Can you hear me? Uh-huh. Yes. Um, I, I can't make it to service tomorrow, um, but I'd be more than willing to um, uh, uh, volunteer next week, next Sunday. Awesome. Great. That'd be wonderful. Thank you. All right, guys, Jesse, so this is I'll, I'll huh? do it tomorrow. Wonderful. Thank you, Sushant. All right, Sushant, Sushant and Sophie and possibly Martha, tomorrow at 10.30, I uh, acknowledge your commitment to service and bow to it. And thank you. And I just look so forward to seeing you guys tomorrow to continue this celebration um, of marriage equality. And um, if anyone has any stories or anything they'd like to share that's coming up, think about that. I'm going to give everyone space to just share tomorrow at service because I feel like that's just the appropriate and uh, natural thing to do. It feels like it's just coming forth. So um, think about it. Uh, if there's like a little two-minute, three-minute share that you'd like to share with the whole community about um, what you're moving through, how you're feeling with all this, uh, I think it's a really wonderful time to come together and share those stories. Um, Beautiful, wonderful. Well, I oh, one last important thing I forgot. Next week uh, is off. Consider it your summer vacation. We're taking it off for the fourth, of, the week of the fourth of July. So next week, no classes, uh, and I'll be on retreat. And then the following week, this is for year one. I'll still be on retreat on Wednesday. So if everybody could come to Saturday's class uh, in two weeks and we'll send this out again, that would be wonderful. And if for some reason your schedule is not allowing you to do so, we'll schedule a makeup, a one-on-one or something like that. All right. Um, Jennifer, I'm going to hand it back over to you. And thank you again. Yes. So let's take that breath of love and gratitude together. It's returning to our hearts opening our mind. 
allowing ourselves to truly embrace a vision of love for our life and our world. The highest and best possibility of our life is unfolding. So grateful to recognize I am that I am. And that the I am presence is the impetus for our life. Love is the activity of our life. We're grateful and we're thankful to consciously live in this partnership with the higher Holy Spirit self, more awake, more aware in each and every moment, living as a beneficial presence, sharing the love, sharing the joy, demonstrating true freedom. In grace and gratitude, we allow our healing, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone who shared. And Jennifer, again, I just bow to your beauty and light and love. And everyone, go have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. God bless. Bye. 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 Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.